2: I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort and Deirdre Bosa. Big show on deck today. The Coinbase hangover on Wall Street. Day two is a public company. Kathy Wood buys in. Stocks higher again. It's not just coin, though. Got another massive IPO at the Nasdaq today. A $30 billion video game company backed by KKR making its debut. And Bezos addresses his shareholders in what could become a significant change in Amazon strategy. We're going to dig in on that.
0: It's also a big day for tech stocks. NASDAQ outperforming the broader indices, S&P hitting an all-time high, along with the XLK, led again by chip names like NVIDIA, AMD, and Xilinx. The FANG Plus index up better than 1%. Tesla, though, in the red, and GameStop down 6%, John.
3: Yeah, and today's most important tech story, well, day two for Coinbase. We are watching crypto's newest king, the company opening for trade yesterday afternoon $381 Three hundred eighty-one dollars a share, fifty-two percent above the reference price, rising as high as four twenty-nine before settling the day lower. And as of yesterday's close, its eighty-six billion-dollar, roughly market cap made it the most valuable publicly traded exchange in the U.S. If you think that's what it is, mm-hmm. Kathy Woods Ark Funds also jumping into this trade, buying two hundred forty-six million dollars worth of shares to add to Ark Invest's funds. There are so many storylines in tech right now, Carl, that hinge on the idea that the rules of a particular area have changed, whether that is cloud or AI, work from anywhere, uh, cloud gaming platforms, quantum computing, domestic chip supply, Reddit and retail trading. But it seems to me in Coinbase we've got (laughs) two storylines colliding. The, The Robin Hood story argues low fees open up access to markets. But the Coinbase story argues blockchain opens up access to markets and somehow Coinbase is going to be able to keep charging a premium. I don't know if both can be true.
2: Yeah. I mean, all those topics, John, make it make it uh, make sense why we launched Tech Check at the beginning of the week in the first place. D, it's going to be interesting. All of the issues John raises and all of the players. Right. I mean, a, a few weeks ago, I'm not sure how many viewers knew the name Brian Armstrong. Certainly, John's known him for a long time. Uh, but to what degree is he going to become more visible and more vocal, especially given the fact that his Twitter account, at least until now, has remained fairly steady.
0: You know, guys, it struck me that we heard from Fed Reserve Chair Jay Powell yesterday on the day that we had this sort of momentous moment for cryptocurrencies. And, you know, he echoed what he said before, calling cryptocurrencies vehicles for speculation. We've heard similar skepticism from Janet Yellen. But I just think that that misses the point here. It ignores the most important function of this crypto revolution that we're seeing, and that is the technology behind it. What's emerging isn't, in fact... It's used to pay for stuff, but its role in decentralized finance and potentially um, the technology's role in central bank digital currency. So, John, to your point, when you say um, we can't keep up these enormous fees and margins forever, I think that's sort of a side point. I think that if we're going to talk about it becoming the Google or the Netscape or the Yahoo of uh, cryptocurrencies, it's going to eventually have to do a lot more than that, Carl.
2: Uh, D, let's bring in Connie Machabella of uh, Kindred Ventures talk more about coin. Uh, Connie, great to have you back. Thanks for kicking off the hour. Uh, we've had about a day or so here, two or at least a couple of days, uh, to chew on the business model over there, uh, the reference price, the open. What do you think has not yet been said that needs to be said about this particular company and the opportunities that the at least the bulls argue it'll bring about?
4: Uh, Thanks for having me back on. It's, it's a pleasure to see you all. And I was actually interested in hearing the conversation between John and Dee because there is a question as to whether or not Coinbase is building an exchange, whether they're building a bank, or whether they're building something different. And I think the most enlightened reading and the reading that those who are optimistic about the company would say is that it is indeed something different. And it's an on-ramp onto the global crypto network. It's a software company that's building that on-ramp. And so in the same way that it wouldn't really make sense to think of uh, the social media as media because it's so much more and it's so much different and it encompasses media, but it actually extends it further. I think the same is actually true for programmable money, which is what cryptocurrency actually is. And what Coinbase has done is it's created the first secure with a focus on security, uh, scalable and institutional grade on ramp into this global crypto network. And so I actually think that's the most important story for what they're building.
2: Hmm. You know, you you mentioned uh, the on-ramp. That's the exact same phrase that BTIG uses in their initiation today. They go to buy 500, an on-ramp for mainstream crypto investors, leveraging the platform for institutional investors. But, Kanye, you know, Larry Fink of BlackRock this morning on our air said the conversation, at least with his clients, uh, regarding crypto remains minor. What happens if Uh, Crypto ETFs crop up all over the place. How much liability is in the Coinbase name if if those things uh, do happen?
4: That's a fair question. And I think the first thing to note is even from the very, very beginning of Coinbase's days when they hired their first employee, Olaf, their focus was on security and their focus was on security, even sometimes at the expense of some of the other things like performance and moving fast. And so it's my belief, first of all, that they're gonna actually be a really resilient company because of how much infrastructure they've built in cold storage and offline storage and really protecting it. As for the volatility of the currencies themselves, that's something that the market's gonna have to be educated about. And is something that's changing currency by currency. And so if you look at Bitcoin over the course of the last 10 years, uh, its volatility has actually been slowly tightening and there have been moments of volatility, but it's tightening. Meanwhile, the 30 other currencies that have been added to the platform are still in their early germination phases. And so I think what needs to be educated about in the market is actually the nature of an emerging cryptocurrency and how to think about it. But that's very different than whether or not there's a fundamental concern for liability for the platform itself.
2: Yeah,
3: Kanye, uh, Ron Conway was with us yesterday talking about this as the Google of transactions, digital transactions online. And I just wonder how you as an investor can tell whether it's the Google or the Yahoo or AOL, right? Because there's a big difference between those things. Being first isn't always best. And, you know, across so many of these big breakout ideas in tech over the last couple of decades, I'm thinking Google search, Facebook social graph, uh, Apple's design and vertical integration. Like uh, leaders have often said, but I can't. We were so afraid that the big companies were going to come in and eat our lunch before we had the chance to get the right lead and the right moat. Does Coinbase have that lead and that moat, or are they going to get yahoo and aol here?
4: It's very early days in cryptocurrency. Uh, the entire market cap of crypto is still on the order of $2 trillion, mm-hmm. uh, which sounds like a lot, but it's actually very little compared to almost all other global and mature currencies. And so it is early days, and it could go in a variety of directions. But the thing that I like to think about in terms of how you quantify whether somebody has the likelihood of becoming a market leader, is if they're investing mm-hmm. in ecosystems, whether that ecosystem, especially the developers in that ecosystem, are building with and on and for them at scale. And if they're doing a really good job of focusing on a long-term vision, that's really clearly well understood by the market. And so in the case of a company like Coinbase, Coinbase Ventures, from the very beginning, led by Emily Choi, has been one of the most dynamic pieces of the ecosystem. And they've been creating an alumni network, which comes back and contributes back to the ecosystem, develops more Currencies, develops tokens, protocols, methods of engaging with cryptocurrency that are deeper. So I think that's a good example of ecosystem building is an important thing that's going to be a feature of a market leader. And then in terms of how to think about the vision for the long term, what I love about Coinbase is that they bought a prime brokerage. Uh, They've been thinking about and supporting staking. Uh, They're really excited about DeFi and what's happening in the decentralized finance infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Uh, They added 20 20 tokens just in the last uh, couple of months. And so they're really trying to push to make this a true ecosystem play where the entire crypto network rises at once.
0: Right. So already ramping up, uh, Kanye, I brought up crypto skepticism from policymakers like Powell and Yellen just a few moments ago. And, you know, all of this comes, I noted, as Coinbase goes public, as more institutions are getting involved with crypto And as China is pushing ahead with the digital yuan. So I wonder, does the U.S. risk falling behind? You just mentioned DeFi, decentralized finance, if it is going to be this kind of revolution that changes the way we look at markets and trading and finance at large.
4: Such an interesting question. And the reason why it's such an interesting question is there's people in the U.S. and then there's the U.S. government. And so uh, one of the competitors, in my view, uh, to the primacy of crypto networks and to the primacy of Bitcoin and other currencies is traditional fiat. And the most powerful traditional fiat, the lingua franca, so to speak, globally, is the US dollar and the government backed fiat in the United States. And so if I'm the United States government, I'm thinking very hard about how to balance the dynamism of the creativity of entrepreneurs in the United States supporting an ecosystem like this and the primacy of the dollar, which is so important. So that's one element that I consider. The other element that I consider Uh, is the fact that with respect to geopolitical risk, uh, the cryptocurrency is actually trying to speak to a very important trend, which is this trend of decentralization. You're seeing it in cloud. You're seeing it in media. You're seeing it, as we were talking about, even in the long tail of market participants. uh, People want to have more control. They want to have more agency at the individual level. And that's something that is really playing out across so many different sectors of our economy. And so crypto is a really important story there, but governments and institutions of all types are gonna have to grapple with that because they are fundamentally centralizing forces. And so there's a little bit of a, you know, there's a little bit of a, a tension there that we have to manage.
2: Yeah, no, it's definitely true. It's, it's one thing to strip out some layers in media, uh, much different if you're stripping out layers in currency to your point, Kanye. Want to turn to Amazon's letter today out of Jeff Bezos. He talks about uh, an interesting potential strategy shift for the company. He also talks about the Alabama union vote. He says, Uh, Does your chair take comfort in the outcome of the recent union vote in Alabama? No, he doesn't. I think we need to do a better job for our employees. While the voting results were lopsided and our direct relationship with employees is strong, it's clear to me we need a better vision for how we create value for employees, a vision for their success. And he goes on. We've always wanted to be Earth's most customer-centric company. We won't change that. It's what got us here. But I am committing us to an addition. We are going to be Earth's best employer and Earth's safest place to work. So, Connie, on the union front, what do you think between the lines here Bezos is saying about the labor structure at the company in the future?
4: It was a profound statement, actually. And you know, the way that I was reading it was that he was recognizing the fact that at the end of the day, it's a people-powered company. And if you're not putting people at the center of your company, you've got an existential risk that you need to manage. And I think back to 2018 when Costco moved to $14 an hour and then Amazon quickly moved to $15 an hour. Costco's now at $16 an hour and the federal minimum wage is still $7.25. And even, you know, a lot of the most progressive states are at $10 or $12 an hour. And so it's clear that these retailers recognize the fact that they need to meet their workers where they're at. Uh, And it's a matter of competition. And so labor markets are going to start tightening again. The talent wars have been on for about a generation. But most importantly, I think the most powerful moat you can have for a company is really happy employees. And frankly, that's one of the things that a number of their competitors, Costco, again, is a notable example, has used as a metric. And so it seems like an implicit acknowledgement of the fact that that's something they're going to put at the primacy of their next generation. Hmm. But the other thing that I note there, just as a quick follow up point is that he said something else that's really profound, which is that what got us here isn't necessarily what's going to take us to the future entirely. And so I thought it was extremely interesting that he added best employer and safest place to work as an implicit acknowledgement that Amazon became a market leader and then staying a market leader is going to require some different energy.
3: And Kanye, I think it's also important to note that he's saying this the quarter before he hands over the CEO reins to Andy Jassy, who um, you know has built a a somewhat different culture at AWS from the larger Amazon culture. I mean, granted, it's a, it's a different sort of employee base, too. And, you know, I've talked to Jassy over the years about um, the focus on employee education, on developing a pipeline of talent, on the future of work in the U.S. Uh, and, and we're at a time when there's increasing focus on data, on workplaces of employees and how that affects the customer i mean if amazon and bezos are really serious about this it could be a sea change not just for amazon but you know rippling out into retail warehouse work e-commerce and commerce in general right
4: well one of the most interesting things is the place where the war for talent and the labor market is absolutely the most tight is in software and software developers And the funny thing is Amazon is running a software company, a massive cloud services company with Amazon Web Services, right next to a large consumer retailer. And so they actually have to think about integrating those cultures in a really thoughtful way. And the transition to Jassy is in part a recognition that the cloud services and the software company that Amazon is building is going to take the foreground. But frankly, what it also is an implicit acknowledgement of is the fact that labor is so, so important to the future of this company.
2: Connie, two huge issues that we're dealing with uh, on some pretty interesting incremental news. Great to see you, as always. Thanks, Connie Machabella. to
4: see you.
2: Take care. And today is CrowdSource. This is Tech Check segment where we
3: ask you to participate on the heels of Coinbase's public debut. We are interested. What would it take for you to invest part of your retirement savings in Bitcoin? Or, you know, maybe Ethereum, too. Tweet at us at uh, CNBC Tech Check. We'll show some <laughs> of the answers later in the show.
0: Or maybe you already have. Tell us about that as well. Later on this hour, we got lots left. Where in the world is Jack Ma? We will break down the latest on China's now reclusive billionaire. And next, McLovin? Nope. AppLovin, the mobile gaming company going public today in one of the biggest IPOs of the year. The CEO of that company joins us next. We're just getting started here on TechCheck.
4: Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba.
5: What does it mean
0: to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones. time for a gut
2: check on Virgin Galactic. Shares are lowered today after news that Richard Branson, Sir Richard Branson, sold about $150 million worth of the stock, about 2.5% of the company, in a move coming just a month after Chairman Shamath Palahapitiya sold his stake. Branson, of course, still owns about 24%. Shares are trading at half of what they were trading at in February, John. Yeah Carl now a uh, mobile gaming platform company AppLovin
3: set to go public in one of the biggest IPOs of the year CEO Adam Forugi joins us now ahead of the first trade Adam good morning
1: Good morning thanks for having me So um, a couple
3: weeks ago uh, almost a month maybe we had on Iron Source and they did the SPAC merger with Toma Bravo. It seems like you're in a similar space, but from what I can tell, Applovin works on platforms like IronSource. So describe, if you can, the state of the gaming app ecosystem, kind of the need for discovery, and what kind of consolidation you expect to see from here.
1: We knew that the app mobile app ecosystem was gonna be very big when we started the business. And we built a technology platform to enable app developers to get their content discovered We've been building that up over the last nine years, but a little bit different than other players in the ecosystem. Three years ago, we launched our own content, and our content has grown immensely. We now reach over 200 million monthly active players playing app loving games, and that gives us valuable audience insights that then feed back into our software engine to help our systems better recommend content to the consumer, both for our clients and ourselves. And that's really what we're in the business of doing.
0: Adam, good morning. It's Deirdre. I wonder, is the future of gaming the metaverse, these digital worlds that Roblox and Fortnite have created? If so, how do app-loving games play into that, or do they even need to?
1: We're actually in a little bit of a different category of gaming. We've got 400 million daily active customers engaging on games on our platform, and they're playing traditionally casual games. This is more of a professional adult audience, Playing games that are 30, 45 minute engagements every single day.
0: So they they don't compete with each other?
1: They don't compete with view, each other or they for timeshare. They're both great experiences and, for the same and different audiences.
3: So, Adam, when we think about Applovin, should we think of you as more of a competitor to Iron Source long term or a competitor to Zynga long term? Playing in, in both spaces, how do you define? The addressable market and how do you get investors to to kind of see that play as both a provider of games and a provider of tools for other app companies as an advantage
1: the addressable market's huge it's 190 billion dollars a year and growing over 10 percent a year we're currently doing very well but we're still only one percent market share the way we look at our business is different than both of those two companies we built this discovery platform And then we built the content to enhance the audience insights that we could get from first-party players of our content back into our software, which improves the efficacy of the solution both for clients and ourselves. And, again, we're really in the business of helping customers discover the best content for them.
3: Yeah, data, tools, and content. You've got a lot of different spaces that you're able to play in with your software. I look forward to seeing you often as a public company. Adam, thank you.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Meantime, take a look at Dell shares popping after news that plans to spin off its stake in VMware. We will break down that move. Plus, Julia Borsten is with us next on A Disruptor in the Social Space. Julia. That's right, Deirdre.
6: It helps celebrities and brands own their relationship with consumers, and it just raised $40 million. Is plotting an expansion. We'll dive into the companies that are helping creators avoid the so-called Facebook tax. That's coming up after the break.
2: Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work.
3: Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm John Fort with Carl Quintanilla, Dia Bosa, and Julia Borston. Let's uh, get a check on the major indices touching new record highs today. The S&P Dow and NASDAQ all up about a percent. Dell popping higher at the same time. Announcing yesterday it's spinning off VMware, kind of. That's going to help pay down debt. Dell should get more than $9 billion in a cash dividend for its 81% stake. Dell shareholders are going to get 0.44 shares of VMware for every share they own of Dell, so in that sense, Dell Technologies is going to continue to hold some shares of VMware. Also, Michael Dell is going to remain chairman of the board. This might clear up a haze that's been over both Dell and VMware valuations. Even though VMware has its own ticker, it's a public company, it was controlled by Dell. and analysts had some trouble deciding on the right multiple on VMware, a software company owned by a company with PCs, servers, networking, storage, and software, a lot of different businesses. And Carl, this is expected to close in Q4.
2: Yep. Morgan Stanley weighing in this morning. John, Katie Huberty, of course, saying that it's going to allow them to pay down debt faster, maybe get investment grade sooner than we thought. And maybe, as you say, close that valuation gap uh, between Dell and some of its peers. Yeah. And Deidre, I would also say Michael Dell gets the
3: award for best enterprise chess coming out of the 2010s. I mean, look at where (laughs) H.P and HP Enterprise are, kind of market value-wise, and and where Dell and all of its components are right now, and that says it all.
0: We're living in a legacy tech world for the moment, at least in uh, 2021, a bit of a reversal from what we saw last year, but it's true, John. Uh, Time for a CNBC News update. Let's get to Rahel Solomon for that. Hi,
6: Deidre. Good morning. Yeah, so as John just mentioned, the S&P 500 and Dow Industrials have set new record highs, with help from a nearly 10% surge in March retail sales. Also, weekly jobless claims fell to their lowest level in 13 months. The US is imposing a new round of sanctions on Russia to hold the Kremlin accountable for the Solar Winds hacks, as well as interference in last year's presidential election. Among the measures, US financial institutions will be barred from buying Russian bonds. And Delta Airlines seeing a big recovery in its business since earlier this year. CEO Ed Bastian says that bookings doubled between January and March and that the company is no longer burning cash.
2: Of all that, Phil, that I'm most amazed by is that we're doing this while we're still missing 50 percent of our revenue base. International is still largely closed. Business travel continues to be quite muted and we're still not selling the middle seat until next month. So our team our team's doing a great job.
6: You are now up to date. I'll send it back to you, Carl. All
2: right, Rahel, thank you very much. As you all know, companies and celebrities use Facebook all the time to interact with their customers and fans. But now some startups are trying to flip that script. Julia's got some more on it. Julia?
6: Well, Carl, celebrities with millions of fans alongside creators with just a few hundred fans are turning to platforms where they, not Facebook, can control their fan relationships and all that data. Now, one of those companies is called Community. It enables celebrities to text directly with their fans. So Community has 26 million people signed up to receive texts from thousands of what they call leaders. That includes Ashton Kutcher, Jennifer Lopez, brands such as WW Weight Watchers, as well as doctors and yoga teachers. Now, these people pay a fee to build their relationships with fans and to market directly to them. Community just raised $40 million from Salesforce to help fuel its growth with businesses. Here's what its CEO told me about the company's opportunity.
1: Social media and marketing channels are noisy. It's very competitive. Um, It's difficult to cut through that. Uh, And we think there's a need on both sides of the marketplace for a more direct connection. Uh, And ultimately, when you're able to text somebody, uh, you're instantly cutting through all that noise and you're instantly delivering value. Uh, And we think that's just, uh, you know, something that just doesn't exist today on the current landscape. It's about allowing your community to be a part of the conversation. uh, And it's about building uh, much more long term uh, relationships with your consumers versus simply, you know, trying to remarket and retarget to
7: them.
6: Now, Community is one of a range of tools fueling the creator economy. Patreon offers tools for anyone to offer a subscription. Substack allows people to charge for newsletters. Kajabi enables online classes and coaching. And Cameo is so people can be paid for appearances. Now, Facebook, Twitter, and Snap want to hold on to their creators, and they're working on ways for them to cash in directly on their fans. Facebook with a subscription newsletter platform, Twitter is experimenting with a premium subscription, and Snap has its Spotlight program, which pays creators daily. So, John, Carl, what we're seeing right now is really a land grab in terms of getting these creators, John, and making sure that they're getting the creators and the fans to stay on their platform.
3: Yeah. uh, Julia, this is so interesting because um, the subscription piece of this, it's like you're moving away from advertising in a way where so many of these social networks spent their time focused. I I don't know if the creators really want to spend uh, all their time within Facebook, within Twitter, within YouTube. They seem to like kind of diversifying where their (laughs) revenue sources are.
0: I would argue, Julia, it's too late, right? I mean, these social media giant platforms, they haven't focused on, you know, allowing the creator to make money off of their platforms. They're so late to the game here that we have all of these startups giving creators way to monetize um, what they've created and be paid for the work that they put out there, right? Can they ever catch up the Twitters and Facebooks? Even YouTube has had revenue, but is it good enough?
6: Yeah, well, look, I would never count out Facebook and Twitter and Snap and the the opportunity they still have to help monetize creators. The challenge right now is creators have so many followers on these platforms they don't want to lose those followers entirely. But if you see someone like Ashton Kutcher tweet out, "Hey, text me directly if you want to, you know, interact with me on text versus on Twitter or versus on Instagram," um, you know, I'm sure people are skeptical about how many of those texts are customized just for them. But I do think we're going to see a really diverse economy in this creator economy come up where people interact with fans in different ways on different platforms. And I do think a lot of this is going to be moving away from advertising and more towards some of these subscription services and interesting with community. It's the, the celebrity that's the one that's paying the fee because they see so much value in monetizing their fans down the road, guys.
3: Yeah, well, in some cases, you get what you pay for. We'll see how successful Community and others are, Julia. Thanks. Now, is this chip shortage maybe going to last into 2022? We're going to break down that headline in TSMC's latest quarter next. And you can always listen to us on the go. Download, subscribe, enjoy the Tech Check podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. We are back in just two. warning the global chip shortage could last through 2022. Those comments echoing statements by some other leaders in the industry. Earlier this week, the White House holding a summit with top execs to discuss the crisis. Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger telling us ahead of that meeting, he hopes the U.S. can once again manufacture a third of the world's chips on American soil. The supply crisis impacting all the major automakers with production halted at plants across the country. We're going to have to see how it affects 2021 product rollouts from companies like Apple, Carl.
2: Yep, John, in the meantime, Oppenheimer making, are naming NVIDIA, Marvell, and Broadcom some top picks, saying they favor structural growth into Q1. Got a downgrade of Intel, by the way, over at Ray J. And after the break, TechCheck sits down with Coinbase's first investor. So stay with us.
3: Of CrowdStrike, Deutsche Initiating with a Buy, price target of 265. The firm's bullish on cybersecurity and cloud adoption. And next, what do the gap, cello, punk music, and leadership have in common? We're gonna tell you right after the break. See you,
2: you can see it on your screen. Bitcoin trading at 62.5 here, of course, hit an all-time high this week, breaking 64k. Uh, it's had its share of critics over the years, as you might remember. Back in 17, Jamie Dimon called it a fraud before walking back those comments a few months later. Treasury Secretary Yellen, of course, just two months ago, saying not widely used, an inefficient way of conducting transactions. And then, of course, there's the Oracle of Omaha himself, also in 17, called it a bubble, doubled down last year when speaking with our own Becky Quick, saying, quote, I don't have any cryptocurrency and I never will.
0: Well, Carl, someone who was sold on the idea and very early, our next guest, Gary Tan, is the co founder of Initialized Capital. And he was the very first Coinbase investor turning a $300,000 investment into a stake worth more than $2 billion today. Uh, Gary, great to have you on the show today. Thanks for being with us. Uh, my question to you is simple. What should public market investors know that private investors like you have known for years? What do they need to look at that tells them to hold, buy, or sell Coinbase?
8: You know, Coinbase to me is this decade's Microsoft, Google, or Facebook. And you know, just as the PC revolution, as you know, the web browser, the internet in society needed those companies, you know, that's what Coinbase is for crypto. And you know, the crazy thing about these things is that the technologies stack. You know, the computer is what enabled the web browser, which then allowed you to have Google and Facebook. So, you know, today it's pretty clear that Facebook is incredibly valuable. It can monetize in so many ways because it's the arbiter of online identity. Um, But, you know, I'd like to point out that they do it in a way that sells your data and it does it in a centralized way. You know, really the power and the reason why decentralization and crypto is so powerful is that it's about your wallet, your coins, your data, And, you know, it's really sort of standing in the face of what all of us are really worried about, which is increasing power of tech giants.
3: Gary, what's the insight or the strategy that Coinbase has that's going to continue to differentiate its efforts, even if uh, competition from fees brings those revenues down? Uh, What's the thing that they have that's similar to what Google had um, with with PageRank, uh, what Facebook had with the social graph and so on?
8: You know, it's really about thinking about these things as uh, layers and stacks, Uh, you know, just as Microsoft had the operating system first, and then that gave it the incredible advantage to, you know, create, you know, what is now a giant cash cow. I mean, Office, even today, is such an incredible, you know, piece of technology that is spitting out cash. And that's why this is fundamentally valuable. You know, we are in the earliest, you know, sort of first half of the first inning of crypto remaking society, you know, the applications are coming. You know, what everyone's talking about is the price of Bitcoin, store of value, digital gold. I think that theme is you're actually doing pretty well, right? Two trillion dollars in value if gold is 10. You know, that, I think, is why, you know, why people are talking about Coinbase today. But I think in 10 to 20 years, what we're really going to be talking about is software eating every other sector, all other transactions that people do or have online, you know, and you're seeing the shades of this now, DeFi, decentralized finance, where you can lend, insure, underwrite, settle any transaction between multiple parties, all in the open using open source software. You know, that's $53 billion locked in ETH as of this morning. And that's four that's actually four X up since the beginning of the year. And so you're seeing actually explosive growth in, you know, sort of things further up the stack. Bitcoin and Coinbase was the enabler. And what Coinbase is going to be able to do is be the enabling force, the clean, well-lit place to be that on-ramp for the next 10, 20, 50 years.
2: So, Gary, we, we pay a lot of attention to how central banks are viewing all of this. And I wonder what goes through your mind when you hear uh, Jay Powell talk about digital uh, currencies as a, as a concept. Are you encouraged by the way he appears to be leaning, at least in his answers?
8: You know, IBM said that there would only ever be five Uh, computers in the whole wide world to do everything that, uh, you know, you would need from computers. So, you know, I think we're no stranger to, frankly, really, really smart, really, you know, people who we should listen to say things that, you know, actually just turn out to be wrong. And, you know, I think that that's the case here.
0: Um, Gary, Everyone, I think everyone that's come on the program who has put money into Coinbase is calling it the Google of crypto. But my question to you was, how is how do we know that is happening? How do we know it's the Google and not the Netscape? What do public market investors now need to look for?
8: You know, I think you should look at what moves Coinbase has been making. Um, you know, not only were we the earliest investor in Coinbase at 15 cents, we were actually also the earliest institutional and largest investor in Bison Trails, which Coinbase late last year purchased. And so that company over the past couple of years has become the gold standard for running proof of stake, which is really the next shift in how blockchains will reach consensus. And so that was a huge strategic buy. And that actually sets Coinbase up to be a cloud infra provider, just like AWS. And if you open up um, you know, the annual reports of Amazon, you can see how profitable right. those kinds of things are.
0: Right. I would just argue, though, at the same time, you got to look at what PayPal and Square and Gemini and some of the competitors are doing, right? I mean, they're making you know, similar moves and quick moves in this space.
8: Absolutely. I, you know, I think that that's a really good point. Um, you know, what I would point to is the type of design and product that Coinbase can come out with. You know, I think that you could see, you know, this sort of play out over and over again. Um, As tech investors, this is actually what we look for. You know, one thing that stood out to me from the beginning that they've carried through is incredible focus on product and design. So, you know, when we say Microsoft, I actually think we probably should say Apple because that's how they're able to be that clean, well-lit place that users can actually trust.
0: Got it. Gary, and, you know, thank I, you I so much, much for being with us today. Gary but
8: thank you. Thank you for having me. We're
5: we'll getting you again some breaking soon. news
2: this morning thank on you. GOP efforts to target big tech. Uh, Elon Muhey's got that. Hey, Elon.
5: Hi, Carl. We just got a copy of a memo that GOP lawmakers are circulating on potential options for reining in big tech companies after they held that hearing with the CEOs of Facebook, Twitter, and Google last month, as we all remember. And one of the things they want to do is define big tech companies as those with revenue of at least a billion dollars or more. Now, notable that they're not looking to get rid of Section 230 entirely, but they could look at carving out big tech companies from Section 230 liability protections, especially if they use targeted behavioral advertising. They would also require potentially five-year reauthorizations for Section 230 protections. As well as potentially requiring an appeals process for moderation decisions. They're also looking to expand the law that protects children online, COPPA, and encourage tech companies to work more closely with law enforcement officials. So guys, this is really important because Republicans have been all over the map on this issue. This is an effort to build some consensus among the GOP for one course of action and then potentially introduce a bill on that that could possibly get bipartisan support. So this is about building that momentum and building consensus on Capitol Hill to actually make good on those threats of going after big tech. Deirdre.
2: Elon, actually, I'm just looking at the memo now with you. I mean, they're talking about social media, app stores, and as I'm quoting here, other tech companies engaged in certain activities uh that seems kind of broad.
5: Yeah. And one of the criticisms that I'm sure will come out of this uh, memo is, you know, that billion dollar threshold could certainly take in a lot of different companies, not just sort of the social media platforms that were the target of that hearing. So this is a discussion draft that is intended to get lawmakers sort of talking about these issues and see where there is that consensus and desire to move forward. I mean, some of the options are more dramatic than others. So this is also a little bit of a test to see how far Republicans are willing to go. And are they willing to remove those Section 230 protections for companies altogether? Or is it more about trading off, right? Is it more about ensuring that they have are following certain rules if they want to have certain privileges?
0: Right. So some alignment on the GOP side, but the Democratic side, another story. Uh, Elon, thank you so much for bringing that to us. We'll uh, keep you guys posted on developments. Meanwhile, Deliveroo shares taking a beating today. The company giving cautious guidance and warning growth could decelerate this year. And Chinese millionaire, billionaire, excuse me, Jack Ma, a fascinating look at his journey that's up next.
3: TechChecks live on TV and it lives online. Every week, we'll bring you a variety of exclusive content you can find on techcheck.cnbc.com. And today, from my Fort Knox online show, we pull back the curtain on four tech leaders and their unconventional rise to the top. Where they started might surprise you. In my Fort Knox conversations with CEOs and founders over the last five years, there's been a thread that connects many of them. The path to the top isn't a straight line. So what do a punk band, a job at The Gap, a cello, and the theater have in common? Well, they shaped these four tech leaders I sat down with.
0: Worked at The Gap in college. I did a lot of theater.
4: A very common question a lot of my cello students would ask me is... Hold on. Cello students?
1: I did play in a band. It was a
3: straight-up punk band. I had a band, a cover band, <laughs> right around 99. It's trying to jam out with friends. I was just trying to get a date, you know... <laughs> a, and you can look at this QR code, scan it, uh, take out your phone. It'll take you to our website where you can watch this piece in full. There's a lot more to it. Or watch our interview with Ron Conway, Coinbase board member like Katie Hahn. Lots of stuff. CNBC.com slash techcheck or techcheck.cmbc.com. You can also follow our show on LinkedIn. There's a page for that and our Twitter account,
2: of course, as well. Carl? All right, John, great stuff. Uh, Alibaba's co-founder, Jack Ma, spotted in public amid months of secrecy and speculation about his whereabouts. He was on a video call with none other than Putin. Uh, China's richest man, been staying out of the spotlight, of course, after he made some comments critical of the regulatory system in China, spurring some rumors and theories about his whereabouts. This is a guy who used to dress up as Michael Jackson and dance on stage. The FT's Ryan McMorrow has been following the story. His piece, The Vanishing Billionaire, How Jack Ma Fell Foul of Xi Jinping, is in this morning's paper. Ryan, it's great to have you. Thanks for the time.
7: Thank you for having me on.
2: Can you help us understand what Ma's status is right now in China, at least culturally?
7: Uh, Well, he's definitely fallen afoul of the upper echelons of the Chinese government. And so I think it's kind of unclear what's going to happen to him long term. Uh, At the moment, we've heard from officials that he's uh, been basically told to lie lie low. And I guess that's a pretty common occurrence when when your businesses are... um, going through restructuring and under regulatory scrutiny. So um, that's the current state. And what what will happen next is unclear, but it seems like he's going to have to lie low for at least a while longer.
0: Ryan, uh, Jack Ma has been known as sort of the people's billionaire. Chinese consumers, Chinese population really appreciated his origin story as an English teacher, but public opinion has been changing as well, right? How are they viewing him? And did that play into, you know, the government's ability to crack down on such a popular figure?
7: Yeah, well, uh, the government definitely, they they control the media, so they also lead where, where people are thinking and feeling. Uh, but definitely after they, he made some comments supporting 996, which is, the the standard tech work hours here 9 a.m to 9 p.m uh six days a week and so he made some comments supporting it last year and after that uh there's definitely been a a backlash against him and other capitalists that they feel are kind of breaking the rules in overworking workers so that's definitely led some of it and now if you watch his videos online they'll stream comments uh, across the top in China, all the streaming websites have comments streaming across the top, and there's lots of, like, pro-Marxist, anti-capitalist comments streaming across all of its recent videos.
2: Yeah, a remarkable turn uh, after, after such a vocal entry, at least into the global zeitgeist. Uh, Ryan, it's a great piece. I look forward to having you back. Thanks so much for the help.
7: Yep, thanks for having me.
2: Now for our crowdsource,
3: we asked, what would it take for you to invest part of your retirement savings in Bitcoin? Suresh chiming in when Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger invest in Bitcoin. It might be a while. Another viewer hoping teachers' pension funds will lead the way. And Patrick looking for regulators to weigh in. Deirdre. I think
0: many with Patrick on that. Uh, That'll do it for Tech Check today.
2: You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m.
4: Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect
0: hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.